You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Um, Several years ago, these two motivational speakers, Jack Canfield and Mark Victor Hansen, got together and decided, hey, let's, let's take a whole bunch of the inspirational stories that we've told, put them together and stick them in a book. I bet people would buy it. Lord, help us where they write. The title of their book was Chicken Soup for the Soul. They were so right that along came the second helping of chicken soup for the soul and the third serving and the fourth bowl and on and on and on until if I am correct in my counting, there are currently 96 different editions of chicken soup for the soul and you gasp. Um, I thought it would be great to share a few of my favorites that I discovered are out there with you. I'm going to have to track some of these down. They now have chicken oop, chicken oop, chicken soup for the American Idol soul. I'm really curious, is this for people who have been on this show or for people who like this show or both? Um, Chicken soup for the beach lover's soul. I'm I'm a little interested in this one. Here's one of my favorites. Chicken soup for the soul celebrates cats and the people who love them. There's a Chicken Soup for the Soul cookbook, which I'm wondering, are there 101 chicken recipes out there, chicken soup? Um, I'm really not even interested in one. Um, Chicken Soup for the Canadian Soul, just had A to everything. Chicken Soup for the NASCAR Soul, there's one you might like, Kathy. Chicken Soup for the Tea Lover's Soul, Chicken Soup for the Woman Golfer's Soul, I'm a little caught off guard with this one. I mean, I played golf. I'm not a golfer, but is there different things that women golfers would be interested in? That I don't know. Chicken soup for the chiropractic soul. What? What is that? Chicken soup for the dental soul. I don't know. If you don't like root canals, read this. I save my favorite for last. Chicken soup for the mother of preschoolers soul. To which I think we would all agree the mother of a preschooler or preschoolers probably doesn't need chicken soup. She probably needs like chocolate earplugs and maybe some tranquilizers. <laughs> so why are these books so popular? Why have they sold and sold and sold? Let me tell you why. There's a couple of reasons. First of all, we all have this longing inside of us to identify with someone else. If you are a woman tea lover, you want to know about what the other women tea lovers out there are going through and and feel. And the other reason that we like these things, why people are drawn to them, why they're so popular, is we want to feel good. We really, really want to feel good. We read things, we say things, we think things, we believe things all the time 
that make us feel good, whether they're true or not. For instance, there's a really popular statement, and it's been popular for a long, long time. You may have heard it before. It's something like this. God won't give us more than we can handle. We've all heard that. And in fact, at some point, we, we may have even been the ones who've said it. Um, and I will say to you today that most of the times and most of the people that I've heard make this statement are people who profess to be Christians. And a lot of, I've even heard it in the context of this is my favorite Bible verse. God won't give us more than we can handle. I'm like, and what Bible is that in again? Because here, let me give you the truth. But you'll also realize when I'm saying it that mine doesn't sound quite as good. God will never give his people trials in which he will not sustain them and bring them through to everlasting glory. Mine doesn't really sound as good like on the front cover of a book as God will never give us more than we can handle. But all that said, let me say to you this morning, God will absolutely at times give you and me more than we can handle. Um, I believe we're going to see that very clearly this morning in the scriptures, that this is not from the Bible, nor is it from the Lord. Faith requires facing more than we can handle, okay? Faith is going to require that of us, that we sometimes face more than we, on our own, can handle. Faith often requires us trusting that only the Lord, only God, can walk me through what I'm facing and what I'm walking through. This morning, we begin a new section here in the book of Genesis. Uh, we're coming out of the section on faith and obedience with Abraham. Well, we're still looking at Abraham, um, but this section is on the sons of Abraham. So if you will join me, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 21. In Genesis 21, God finally fulfilled his promise to give Abraham and Sarah a son. Let's take one more look and a refresher at what happened. Genesis 21.1 says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Everyone who hears this will rejoice with me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Abraham and Sarah had to be filled with hope and with a renewed sense of joy. Look at this incredible gift God has given us that is humanly impossible to have even taken place. So at this point, after Isaac is born, God directs Abraham to send Hagar, Sarah's servant, and Ishmael, the son that he had with Hagar, Abraham is to send them away. 
God has said, look, I will take care of Ishmael. In fact, I have even made a covenant with Hagar that I'm going to supply for him. I'm going to take care of him. But this son, Isaac, this is the one to whom I have promised to fulfill my covenant. So send him away. So Abraham sends his other son away. Isaac's the one God's going to fulfill his promises through. Understanding this makes what's about to happen even that much harder to comprehend. Look at Genesis 22. In Genesis 22, beginning in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am, Lord. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place far off. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And at some point, Isaac said to his father, Abraham, Father, he said, here I am, son. Behold, we, we've got the fire and we've got the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound his son Isaac there and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him, Abraham, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. And an angel of the Lord comes again and reaffirms the covenant between God and Abraham again. And Abraham and Isaac go back to the servants and return to Beersheba. Abraham had repeatedly acted in great faith toward God. And Abraham had also repeatedly walked through some very, very difficult circumstances, trials, and situations. But I think that we would all agree that all of it pales in comparison to the thought of your son being taken, to the death of a child. But let's make sure that we're 
we're getting all of the weight of this. This isn't just my son. The scripture points out here, Abraham, this is your only son. Because the other son, we've sent him away. And so this is not just my son. This is my only son. And my son is not just facing death. My son is facing a violent death of being executed. And now here comes the greatest weight of all. I'm not only facing the grief of the loss and the death of my son being executed, but I'm facing the weight of the grief of being the executioner. I don't think anybody would argue that what God is asking Abraham to do here, we could maybe call incomprehensible. This goes against logic. This goes against common sense. To say that this goes against Abraham's natural affections is a grotesque understatement. Why? Because he is about to sacrifice his lifelong hope. Now, Isaac is not the, the source or the object of Abraham's hope, but he is most certainly the means to it because God has said, I will make you a great nation. I will multiply your descendants. They will outnumber the stars. Well, that's not going to happen if the one descendant I have is gone. So things are not really adding up here. See, here's where we have to understand that the scriptures, the scriptures teach us that God will not tempt us, okay? But the scripture also teaches us that God will most certainly test us. Never mistake the idea that God would ever dangle or put sin in front of you, like, let's just see if if they'll cave in and, and give in. No, God will not tempt you, but God will test you. Go back to verse one. After these things, God tested Abraham. God won't give us more than we can handle. Bull, he most certainly will. And in fact, at times God will give you and he will give me enough that all I can do is collapse into his arms and fall at his feet. There will be times in my life that that happens. And here's why. God will walk us through fire in order to refine our faith. God will walk us through all kinds of things. He will walk us through fire in order to refine us and make us more like Christ. Now, make sure you don't misunderstand what I just said. God will not send us into fire. And God will most certainly not leave us in the fire. God will walk us through. David says in Psalm 23, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. I would call this the valley of the shadow of death, even though it was up on a mountain. But Abraham kept walking, kept trusting. Abraham obeyed, and we have all been blessed because of it. You know, we could kind of like wrap it up right there and go, great sermon, Father's Day, way to go. Not happening. Here's why. 
This is a really small piece of an incredibly powerful and beautiful picture. You know, puzzles start with a picture. And then I would love to see how they're made. You know, then they're cut into all these pieces. I'm more of the like hundred piece puzzle guy. Some of you may be those crazy thousand piecer people. And maybe there's a 5,000 piecer amongst us. I don't know. But when you look at the puzzle and you dump it out on the box, you take a piece of it and you're like, hey, I know this is something, this is something, part of something bigger, right? That's what you and I have just read. God didn't just do this to test Abraham's faith. He most certainly did that. But something bigger is going on here. God was revealing through Abraham and Isaac a powerful picture of the foreshadowing of redemption. And I want to walk through those pieces with you together. Go back here into Genesis 22. What's the first thing that God says to Abraham? He says, take your son, right? But you notice that God didn't stop there. Hey, Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love. Do you know that this is the first mention or use of the word love in all of scripture? Right here. Abraham, take your son, your only one. Remember, we sent the other one away. The one that you love. How many sons did Abraham and Sarah have? One. Take him. The only one. The one you love. Does this not sound like something else to you? Like, have I heard this before? Because see, for me, when I read that scripture, I think this sounds a little bit like John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You see, both sons, Isaac and Jesus, the son of Abraham, the son of God, were to be sacrificed. Not only that, it's quite possible that it would happen in almost the same place. God says this to Abraham, and then he says, go to the land of Moriah, And you're going to go to a mountain of which I will show you. Well, Mount Moriah, this is where Solomon built the temple. And the temple is built inside of the city. And see, this would have been quite possibly right where Jesus would have been when he was led out of the city to be crucified. So it is highly possible that this could happen on the same mountain. When did this reach culmination? Here's what I mean. God comes to Abraham. Abraham goes to sleep. If God told me, you're going to get up the next day and you're going to do this, you know, I'd have slept in. Abraham rose early the next morning, saddled the donkey, and he went. 
And then it says in verse four, what does it say? Look at it with your own eyeballs. On the third day, Abraham looked and he saw the mountain. He put the sacrifice on Isaac. They went, they went up the mountain. He laid his son down. He was about to sacrifice him and it was stopped and his son was given back to him. This culminated on the third day. Friends, How long did the father endure allowing his son to bear the weight of sin and death in the grave? When was Jesus raised from the dead? I don't need to tell you, do I? The third day. This is kind of sounding really crazy. Like these things are connected or something. Now we get to the really, really powerful part. Because see, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son. In other words, Isaac, you put the wood on your back. I got the fire, I got the knife. You carry the wood for the burnt offering. Isaac carried the wood for his own sacrifice. However, At that point, he could not have fully understood what was going on, what was about to take place. But friends, let me say this to you this morning. Jesus carried his own cross, knowing full well what was ahead of him. Turn with me for a moment to Isaiah 53. Isaiah wrote about this many, many, many years before Jesus ever came. I want to share with you this morning before we read this. Earlier this year when I had the chance to go to Israel and was in Jerusalem, you try to prepare yourself for like, man, I wonder what's going to really like affect me and stir me up and you just can't know. But let me tell you what got me. Going to the house of Caiaphas. The house of Caiaphas is where Jesus was taken after he was arrested And this is where he was unfairly tried. And one of the reasons that they so firmly believe, this is almost without question, the actual house of Caiaphas, is the dungeon that's below the house. And this is where Jesus would have been taken after they tried him. And this is where he would have been beaten, whipped, mocked, spit on. I have a picture to show you. This is from looking in. There's plexiglass there. One thing you can't see is that over here, when you first walk in, there are these big holes cut into the rock. And those holes would have been where rope would have been tied. And they would have tied your hands up to the rope so that you couldn't move while they were beating you. And I don't know this for a fact because I couldn't get in there. But I would almost swear to you, if you were looking at the actual picture I took that you can still see blood soaked into the rock there. And of course, more prisoners and people than Jesus would have been placed here. But this is very highly likely where Jesus was the night before he was taken to Pilate, where he was beaten and whipped by soldiers. Here's why I shared this with you. In the midst of standing there and taking this in, I was already really like uh, in shambles. And my pastor, Dr. Gary Smith, without any warning, just started reading from Isaiah chapter 53. And somewhere 
around verse four and five is when I just collapsed. I fell to my knees. My friend Ryan put his hand on, on me. But I want to read with you Isaiah 53, beginning in verse four. The prophet said, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, as if everything that came to Jesus, it was his own doing. He deserved that. No. mm -mm. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus carried that weight knowing where it was leading him. John chapter 19, beginning in verse 16. So Pilate delivered Jesus over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross. And they led him to the place called the skull. Jesus carried that knowing where it was leading him. As I said a moment ago, Isaac at that moment could not have yet fully understood what was going on. And here's how we know this because of the question that he poses to Abraham. Hey, father, um, we, we've got the fire. We got the knife. Where's the lamb? Where's the actual animal that you're going to sacrifice? And what's Abraham's response? God will provide for himself the lamb, my son. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. Beginning in verse 17. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac, through this son, will the promise come. Will your offspring be named? Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Friends, there are things that we know, because we have the scriptures, that Abraham could not have known. Yet in the midst of not knowing, Abraham obeyed. He kept walking, he kept going, he obeyed. Ultimate obedience. And Hebrews tells us that Abraham, figuratively speaking, received Isaac back from the dead. Make sure that you grasp when it comes to Jesus, there is no figuratively speaking. Jesus conquered death. But again, so many pieces of this beautiful picture here. Isaac asked his father a question. Hey, dad, where's the lamb? Do you understand that thousands of years later, the lamb got on his knees in the garden knowing tomorrow what he was facing. And he cried out, 
Father, if there's any other way, if it's your will, if you would take this cup from me, you know what Jesus is saying? Hey, Father, if there's any other lamb available, like maybe I could turn around and find one caught in the thicket, that'd be, that'd be great. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb, my son. The father said, nope, this is my will. You're the lamb. And I've given you this cup and you're gonna drink it. And Isaiah said, years and years and years before, it is the will of the Lord to crush him. And he laid on him the iniquities of us all. The father did provide a lamb. Now, while I said a minute ago, Isaac's understanding, it, it couldn't have been full at that point. It was delayed. We do need to understand that at some point, Isaac's understanding was realized. You get what I'm saying? Um, when you start to be tied down, um, something's clicking. Here's why this is significant. Um, Abraham, uh, we can safely label old. And, and don't anybody in the room be offended. Nobody gets to be because everybody in this room is a spring chicken compared to Abraham. Abraham's 100 when Isaac is born. I was 32 or 33 when my son was born and I was flat worn out. 100. At this point, Isaac is at least in his late teens, if not his early 20s. So what does that tell us? That tells us that Isaac is younger, Isaac is stronger, Isaac is faster. Here's why this matters. There is no way humanly possible that Abraham could have sacrificed Isaac without Isaac's consent. No way. I don't care if you're my dad. You trying to tie me down on an altar and you got a big knife? I'm out. And, and realize, I'd be running downhill, right? I'm going fast. At some point, this was realized. And what happened here, Kent Hughes, in a commentary on Genesis, puts it this way. Isaac had decided to obey his father whatever the cost, just as his father had decided to obey God whatever the cost. Friends, let me say to you on a personal note this morning, I want my daughter and my son to know that I so fully trust and obey the Lord that they won't hesitate to trust and obey me. I, I want to trust to that level. That there are those times in my life and in your life that we face things and we, we say, I don't know, but God will provide. God will provide. I don't know, son, but God will provide for himself the lamb. 
He did it for Abraham and Isaac. He's done it for us. Faith is to trust and obey the Lord often when we don't and we can't fully see or understand. Faith is to very often wait on the Lord for a really, really, really long time. Hundred years old. God finally says, okay, now we're ready. Why do we wait so long, Lord? Well, maybe so that no one would ever question, I did this. I don't know. Faith means stepping out and taking a risk for the sake of God's glory and his kingdom. That's what we're, we're saying that as a church, we, we are ready to do this. Sometimes we can't fully have all the pieces. But friends, let me say to you this morning, great faith is to give back to the Lord the thing that you have waited so long for him to give you. Great faith is to give back to God that thing that you and I, that we treasure the most. God, I know that you are the provider. You are the giver of all good things. You are faithful, God. It's all yours. I'm bringing it back. Chicken soup for the soul or something like it may want you and I to believe that God will never give us more than we can handle. That's a lie. Might also make the assertion, God will ever, never ask you to offer your child's life up to him. Well, let's be clear. God will never ask you to take your child's life. But God most certainly will ask you to give it back to him. The way that I look at it is I can daily hand my children back to the Lord or I can hand them over to the world. But I can't do both. I want to daily, intentionally, purposefully hand them back to the one who gave them to me in the first place. I can hand them back to the Lord and believe me, it won't happen accidentally or I can just give them over to the world. I don't really see much of a choice there. Why would I want to even choose? Just a couple of weeks ago, we stood right down here and we prayed over Haley McCoy who was getting ready to leave for Nashville to go up and live amongst people from all over the world, many of whom have never heard the gospel. And I got to hang out on Friday with one of my very, very close friends, Nathan Jones. Well, Nathan pastors a church up there, and it's the church that Haley happens to be connected with. And she's actually in Nathan's missional community right now. But I want to say this to you this morning, folks. Haley, the reason why Haley was able to just so wholeheartedly and freely run toward the call of God on her life is because her parents, Lawton and Sue Ann McCoy, gave her back to the Lord a long, long time ago and have been handing her over every day since. And you don't even have to know Haley really that well to see this is a young woman after God's heart. Sarah Harmoning's life was celebrated this past week at Mount Zion. 
And the world could look at that and go, on a bus to go to a mission trip, don't even get to the airport and someone is killed. What, what is the sense in that, God? How do you make sense of that? If I'm Sarah's parents, how do I reconcile that? Let me tell you, there's only one way. I'd already given her back to the Lord. How does any of this make sense? I don't know. Watch this for a minute. and opened up to 1 Peter 5 and 2 Peter 1. Pretty much everything I read applied to me now. And we know that the incredible thing is impacting the world for Jesus Christ. And we want you to know the love of Jesus Christ. And if you do not know him as Savior and Lord, for our precious, precious Sarah, please seek him today through his word. I can't make sense of any of that for you. You know, to be very honest with you, um, I've seen a lot of wrecks in my life. See, I look at that bus and I go, I'll show you a miracle that not everybody in the bus was dead. Why Sarah? I don't know. But I believe that her parents could stand there before everyone that day and say what they did because they had already given their daughter back to the Lord every day leading up to that one. Great faith is giving back to God the thing that we treasure the most. You know why you and I can even have that faith? Because the father gave his son. There are going to be times that I don't and I can't know why. And I really want to know why. And I'll never be able to comprehend it possibly. But I can rest in knowing that God has a why that may be far beyond my comprehension. I can't understand it. But here's what I can know. It is always for my good, and it's always for his glory. Always. God will give you and will give me more than we can handle on our own. But understand, as children of the king, we are never on our own. Ever. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Let's pray together.
Father, we come again with hearts of gratitude. We say thank you. Thank you for the, the magnitude, the sacrifice of your love for us. Jesus, we thank you that you bore the weight, not just the physical weight, not just the, the physical pain, but the spiritual, emotional, mental agony and weight of bearing the burden of our sin. Thank you that knowing what was ahead of you, you kept walking. Father, would you remind us this morning of how valuable we are to you? I just want to say to you this morning, in case you don't know, you are loved by God. God loves you. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, I first of all want to tell you that we have been praying for you. That you would come to the knowledge and the saving faith of discovering who he is and what he's done. And I just pray that you don't walk out of here today without reconciling that. In just a few minutes, some of our pastors, elders, and leaders are going to be in the back at the tables. I just want to encourage you that they, they would love to share with you the good news of what Christ has done. Lord, for those of us in this room who your name is written over our lives, for those of us who call ourselves yours, would you reinvigorate and refresh our hearts and our souls with a hunger and thirst for you, Jesus? That we might be able to say, like the psalmist, who have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth I desire besides you, Lord. My heart and my strength many, many times will fail me. But God, you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever.
Lord, give us great faith that we might risk it all for your kingdom. Jesus, you are worthy of our praise. Your name is above all names. Let's stand together and worship him. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.